This week on Homo Superior. I have a question, and it could be a good Polaris for next week. Yeah. Would you have liked this MODOK, and this is the fan, four fans listening, would you have liked, and Kaylin, for you especially, would you have liked MODOK if it was actually Moesha Doc played by Brandy? <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Mo to that. E to that. You know, it really upsets me that you said that line (laughs) just to make it to the front of the episode. And it's going to work. Because when when people are listening to this, it's going to be the front of the episode right now. I hate you so much. (laughs) I hate you. I hate you. Well, Brent is gay, and Kaylin's gay, and Clark is gay, and Ryan's gay, and Adam's gay. It's Homo Superior. Welcome to Homo Superior, where the future Future is is now. now. We We will be respected. respected. The The future future is now. now. We We will be respected. respected. Issue 274. I'm Kaylin. I'm Adam. And I'm Brent Wingate. And this week, Mutant Madness Fashion Month continues with some looks that we hated and some that we hotted. We talk about the aftermath of Gene's death in X-Men the Animated Series. Brent, myself, me, has the news for a change of pace and possibly interest. Of course, we have all the X-Men issues for the week, including the continuation of Sins of Sinister with Nightcrawler number two. Nightcrawlers. Nightcrawlers. There's more than one of Brent. The Church of Nightcrawlers. And I will worship on my knees, baby. <laughs> uh, I also, you know, I'm going to give you guys some plugs, but I guess only you, s- none of us. <laughs> I'm going to give you a real plug. Adam and Kaylin are going to suggest stupid stuff. plugs. All right. First housekeeping. Um, so we made a push to get you guys to give us reviews over the past one or two years. <laughs> and y'all have delivered. Uh, we just wanted to thank you for leaving reviews and and writing such nice things. Uh, and we also want to especially thank all of the Gentoras who left the comment Gentora. It will be especially unhelpful for anyone who's new to the podcast to understand what the fuck that means. But I'm delighted. <laughs> I that framed that review. Actually, it's, it's hanging great. in my house. I right think now. it's a great spelling of Gentora because it suggests she's a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, in other housekeeping news, we have a Rod Rice interview coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, Rice is a fantastic artist. He did the artwork for New Mutants, uh, Dark Web, Cal. Uh, I love his style. I love that it's got a watercolor yeah. type quality. Uh, it's very different from a lot of what uh, other people are doing. You should check out the interview. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll, mm. we'll let you know when it actually is going to come out. But you'll have to keep listening. Yeah, you'll have. You always have to be listening. <laughs> All right, let's do some actual stuff, Kaylin. I think you're leading the charge on clothing for the month. Yeah, because I'm mad for mutant madness. She's got the look. She's got the look. We're doing that because Ryan's not here. But he really does it well. Anyway, so it's March, and we've been asking all of you to vote for your favorite looks for four of our favorite X-Men. That's Storm, Jean Grey, Rogue, Kate, slash Kitty Pride. Uh, We're a little half over halfway through uh, round one. And I just want to ask y'all, we're not going to go through every single one of these because that'll take too long. But what's one look that you're happy has made it to round two for any of the four X-Women? Um, definitely Brotherhood for Storm. I, that is not my amazing first one. Hellfire is my like winner. That's what I'm betting on for her. Yeah. Um, but I really like that Brotherhood look. She is a fucking HBIC. Yeah. What about you, Brett? I guess so far there have been no 
I don't want to talk about any of the specific looks. I just think that generally there's not any looks that I'm shocked have won. Uh, yeah. Like snazzy Kate pride can die in a fire. <laughs> it looks like she was auditioning to be a part of the Harlem Globetrotters. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the ones that have gotten through so far are fine. Uh, <laughs> fine. Just They're fine. Right. Just fine. What yeah. about you, baby? Uh, I'm really happy. I'm also happy about Brotherhood Storm, but Hellfire Gala Rogue is, I think, the best she's really nice. ever looked. It, the best she's absolutely ever looked. I do think it's a little bit unfair for Hellfire Gala to be doing so well because I think those looks are oriented toward fashion and they're not functional in the way that you'd like see them in a comic regularly. Well, I, I imagine they're going to like get through like the first couple of rounds. Cause some of these fucking looks are hideous. <laughs> so I think once that passes, people get over, like people which, will go which for one nostalgia is hideous from Hellfire Gala. Oh no, no, no. I'm saying I the mean, Kate, other looks that they're oh. beating are disgusting. Kate, Kate pride's look is looks like a, a red Kleenex box. <laughs> uh, her, that bushy, Hellfire Gala. It's very Alexander McQueen. How dare you? I know that fashion is not supposed to be functional or doesn't have to be functional. Yeah. But really, it's the most unfunctional, ugly dress. It's two dresses combined into one. So what's one look that you're sad didn't make it? I, I, can, I can guess for you, Adam. What is but it? For you, it's X-Men Gold Jean Grey. You're no. S- I was going to do AOA. I actually like that outfit a lot because her tits look fantastic. Jean Grey's yeah. uh, uh, Age of Apocalypse look. Yes. AOA Jean Grey. I love that outfit. It's so stupid. It's like a jacket with like her tits popping out, but she also still has a neck piece. Like None of it makes any sense. It's very 80s vixen. Yeah, that's very true. What about you, Brent? So the, the Marvel Girl miniskirt Jean Grey lost? Yeah. Yeah, that one. Really? Look, compared to the X Factor Red Jean Grey, it is a better outfit. I, I know agree. people hate the mask. It is a little it is a little bit wonky and weird. And the over sexualizing that booty hole showing up in the skirt. Yeah. Dear look. dear listeners, if you could see my face, my jaw is on the floor when Brent said he hated the red X Factor Jean Grey look. That is Wait, I think like it? I hate that's it too. one of my favorite looks oh. of her ever. Well, I want to be clear. It's not that I hate the look, period. It's that you hate it. It's that I think it's way less fashionable than the miniskirt Jean Grey, the traditional Marvel girl. That's just a fucking green miniskirt. It's a green miniskirt with a great belt, and she at least has something going on uh, style-wise with her pointy gold cat ears. (laughs) I think on the... I I, I will say the photos chosen are probably creating bias because the artwork for the Marvel girl is gorgeous. Uh, so Walter Simonson doing the X Factor Red one. How dare you? I mean, they're both great art. Yeah. But, it, yeah. it looks like a. It, it looks like it fall. It could be worn by anyone. It looks like it. It just meets the middle basis of like here's what we would put in an X Men movie. Meets expectations. There's nothing in here that's like s- particularly striking. I think. Okay, so the one that I'm sad hasn't made it is one we've actually talked about already. Snazzy. Snazzy. (laughs) No, for real. Because I think Kate's Pride's looks overall are the worst of the four. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's that's objectively true. Absolutely not. Yeah. But, you know, because Snazzy is so high camp, I wanted to see it continue. I had this like vision that it would just Somehow make it to like Sweet Sixteen, what Elite Eight. What was the explanation eight. of that outfit again? Uh, it's just like basically Kitty coming down and trying out a new costume, and everyone going, "No, that's not it, baby." Kitty, Kitty was allowed to search through <laughs> all yeah. the leftover costume parts uh, that other people were not using. Yeah. So uh, the 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 contrast, though, I can understand why you might want the snazzy to win against AOA 
uh, Kitty Pride because it's not a it's a better look than snazzy, but it's not a great look. It's yeah. a AOAs very, are falling left and right. It looks like it's trying to be evocative of Cyclops and then also Wolverine, and it just seems bad. She's got claws. She's got little like pointers that you would use to like teach a class in 1980. She well, was also a huge bitch in the AOA, which I enjoyed. Oh no, I, the character is great. It, like they did a really nice job of giving her a 180, uh, and I actually think it's one of her better looks. Yeah. I just think. The high camp oh, of Snazzy yeah. is just, I wish it would have gone further. Those stockings. What's interesting to me is how this is a proxy sort of uh, war, for lack of a better term, between artists. Because the original costume, for, well, the ones from the 70s are designed by Dave Cockrum. So Storm's OG look that's do, that did really well in round one. Yeah. Uh, the stuff in the, in the mid to late 90s, including Age of Apocalypse, it's Joe Monterera. Mm. The stuff in the uh, early 90s is Jim Lee, and then the Hellfire stuff is Russell Dowderman. So I think like Dave Cockrum and Russell Dowderman are phenomenal artists, and they're, they're, they're really good costume designers. I think Jim Lee has had some hits and some misses, mm-hmm. and some of it's dated not in a good way. Yeah. Joe Matarera, I fucking hate his designs. They're all bad. They're yeah. bad. They're, like, they're, they're lazy. They're like quasi-manga-inspired, uh, mm-hmm. but not really. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's... It's not a good look, and it hasn't aged well. Do any of these get to the sickening sixteen, the ornate eight, or the couture four for you? Uh, of the ones that have won, yeah. So I hope Brotherhood Storm makes it all the way. Mm. Uh, that is my favorite look out of everybody. Girl, right? you look in a mirror. You think you look like that every day? I really do. <laughs> I'm like putting on a leather jacket. I'm like, no, that's not me. Her, her looks are going to be the hardest to choose between. Yes. No matter what. I agree. I think I do hope that um, the swashbuckling uh, Kate Pride. Oh, that's a Red Queen Kate Pride. Yeah, yeah. makes so, it to the top. I think that will probably be her top look. I So I think top looks for all four of them will be for Storm. I think it'll probably end up being... Um, uh, I don't think it'll be Brotherhood. I think it's the one that people are voting on right now as we're recording. It's the 90s, early 90s yeah. X-Men gold the look. White, the white outfit with yeah. the huge arm capes. Yeah. yeah. I think for Jean Grey, my guess is it's going to be Dark Phoenix will be the her final four or mm. couture four look. Yeah. For Rogue, I think it'll be X-Men Blue, the 90s one. And then for Kitty slash Kate, it'll either be the Red Queen look or it'll be Shadow Cat. Yeah. Yeah. One of those two. Jackhead's very iconic. That's fair. Well, we're going to have more fights about this yeah. going <laughs> forward. All right. But speaking of polls, it's our new segment, Polaris. It's not new anymore. Stop saying it's new. It's still new. It's been only been around for four weeks. It's still Ten new. Ten years from now. Yeah. It's, still it's our new so, segment, Polaris. You got to reel them in every week, right? So it's the new segment. Yeah. Uh, we still call it the news, not the olds. <laughs> That's Jesus not my Christ. not not by my choice. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you're doing it today. Anyway, so Polaris, it's where we ask you, yes, all of you out there, to vote on something different every week. So this week um, was uh, International Women's Day, and we wanted to ask you which of these four ex-women who have never led a team should be a future leader. So we gave you four choices. Armor, Pixie, Scout, slash Honey Badger, which is my preferred name for her. Mm, I agree. Uh, and Mero. But before I get into uh, who won, uh, let me ask you guys, who would you like to see? Be- I think Armor in my mind, is the right choice because as a character, there's a lot of elements that are fun and interesting, but no story 
that I've read so far has really taken them mm. and ran with them where she can really build long-term fuller relationships. Um, I think she's got an interesting power set. It makes her a different kind of leader than someone who's more aggressive and violent that their protection is defensive inherently. Um, and I, the other top choice for me would be Honey Badger, but I think she's still too young right now. Yeah, but future leaders, future leaders. So, I mean, ever I would like them all to be leaders. And <laughs> right uh, answer. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> someone's been reading his International Women's Day pamphlet. Okay, um, what about you, Adam? I'm a Pixie fan for the uh, opposite reason, and the fact that Pixie has gotten a lot of development since we've had this podcast, or at least is showing up with character in issues. So I just feel like, especially after Legion of X, I think she has a really good spinoff potential. I like what you're saying about armor, and I agree that it's always fun to take a blank, more blank canvas of a character and like really do it. But I'd worry about, especially like with how much we loved um, Exterminators, but obviously we're like, well, these aren't really the characters that we're used to in these bodies. Yeah. So it's like I, I actually would love to see, I would have loved to see Pixie and some of the other ex younger ex girls or women be um, be in that kind of series because they are new enough. And Pixie's energy jumps off the page of her fucking like what is it like? Uh, what's her blade called? This the dark soul, soul, dagger? soul dagger, the dagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just stabbing people in the head, doing all this shit. Like she seems a little she, nuts. She doesn't have to stab them in the head. No, I, she seems she, a little nuts. She gets to stab them in the head. And so I just appreciate that like she's done enough big missions more recently where armor kind of fell off after New Mutants arc, right? Where she was saving Beacon those kids. Yeah. Um some kind of like, issues. Give, yeah. yeah, give her some give her some leeway. For me, I would pick Marrow uh because one she's a Morlock and I like the idea of more Morlocks uh kind of Stepping up to you lead. You say more logs. Uh, yeah, it's stupid. Uh, but also, she was when she was introduced uh, and joined the X teams in the '90s. Uh, she was sort of filling the Wolverine role, uh, not just because of her power set, but because she was actually batshit, and you never knew if she was going to turn on you. Uh, and so, I would love to see the evolution of that kind of character who, like, kind of came in. Uh, kicking and screaming uh, toward the X-Man and then sort of growing up to being a leader. Do you want her to have bone, angry bone body or that weird when she became beautiful during those couple Angry of- <laughs> bone body because that is also beautiful. Those are not two different things. They're not mutually exclusive. Adam. That was a test and you passed. Happy International Women's Day. <laughs> Happy International Bone Day too. <laughs> Why is Adam giving us test on International Women's Day? What the fuck is this shit? <laughs> Alright, so what were the results? Okay, so uh, in first place was Armor with 40% and then uh, tied for second, third, and fourth uh, they were all really close. Uh, second place was uh, Scout uh, slash Honey Badger, which is 21%. Third place was Marrow with 20%. And then fourth place was Pixie with 19%. That's a pretty even split. That's a pretty even split, but uh, Armor took it home. Good for you, Armor. Well, we'll have more polls every week and, uh, and, and for the next 10 years. Also, <laughs> shout out to the asshole who tweeted us saying, none of them, they all suck. And I was like, <laughs> he doesn't follow us. We don't follow him. And I think he's got a porn Twitter. So I don't know what the fuck he was doing and how he found us. But it, uh, yeah, so angry it, donkey dog. If he has a porn Twitter, is he hot? Like, what's his porn Twitter? I'm not gonna comment on his hotness or notness. Uh, but I'll just, I'll, I'll just find the thread later. Yes, <laughs> but fuck you. All right, all right. Let's get into MCU next TV. Our weekly segment focused on the latest and greatest of the MCU Disney Plus TV shows. We've got X Men Tatas season three episode eight. No mutant is an island. 
Following the events of the Phoenix Saga, Cyclops retires from the X-Men and revisits his childhood orphanage, where a rich ne'er-do-well is harnessing mutant kids for Antifa purposes. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, Brent. Uh, Antifa? <laughs> I don't know. He yeah. was very serious about being like, we're going to take over, and I was a bad joke. My, my big concern, I know that this is not, this is, it's pre-a-time, where we're interested in having realistic depictions of <laughs> characters, but Orphanage, how owners is, of orphanage. how is there not a governmental agency making sure certain people named Kilgrave, Zebediah, <laughs> Zebediah Kilgrave, who owns Emerald Mines in South Africa, or it's just like why is there not someone keeping track of who is adopting? Well, it's like, like do- Cruella Deville like adopting 101 Dalmatians. Yeah. You know, it's Disney rules. Well, she stole them. And Disney owns she stole X-Men them, now. So <laughs> I get that a little bit more. And also there, there's never been an organization in the government to protect dogs. <laughs> That's a criticism of the government there as well go. in our real world. Um, it is. You're right that you can tell this is a kid show because adoption is easy. And I'm here to tell you that it's very difficult. Or so I've heard from people that yeah. are going through the process. <laughs> or so the podcast would leave me to believe. <laughs> yeah, I love that Kilgrave, again, great name, Kilgrave. Uh, can just adopt these kids like he's going to grocery stores and picking up eggs. I'll it's take- crazy. Oh, and the kid hates being around him, and everyone's like, it's just tough love that they hate. Kid that you, who's screaming about how dangerous this person is, why do you go let them be your parents? Well, that's, to, actually, that's actually kind of realistic. To be fair, it, they are mutant children. And so sadly, back in, what, 1993, they I feel like if a kid had like was like had superpowers and the government would be like I don't know just take them we don't give a shit fine my criticism exi- still stands <laughs> that the past was terrible yeah there you go also I know that like Senator Kelly is now President Kelly in this timeline oh yeah but like you would think that like there'd be some kind of governmental act to put mutant Support children somewhere considering there are still sentinels running about yeah well so the kids in question are actually I th- believe at least three out of four if not all of them were exterminators at some point in them. the comics yeah. yeah so you had WizKid Rusty Boom Boom and Skids great code and it names. sounds like what your body goes through when you eat something <laughs> yeah how are those nachos Adam <laughs> Cyclops was so so harsh with Rusty where he's like, what a kid, what are you doing running around lighting things on fire? Do you just have like an open box of matches? And the kid's like, I'm just scared. It's like, ah, well, here, let me melt down this uh, trash can with my eyes for yeah. you. So I don't know if you noticed the, well, first of all, the animation is horrible throughout. And this actually, this episode, fun fact, didn't premiere until the fifth season of X-Men because there was animation problems. So I don't know if you I remember as a kid in the fifth season watching this episode going, what the fuck did I just spend my Saturday doing? Where's my new You're just throwing your cereal (laughs) bowl at the TV. It was just this weird time traveling episode. Then they actually fit it into the season where it's supposed to show up. I did not know that. You could see Well, it's good that the effort they put in shows. (laughs) Well, and like most of the episode, I think, follows some of the older style. But my God, the beginning within seconds, it's like a oh, weird the, schmear of like Play-Doh coloring, essentially. The the opening, yeah, the opening credits, I was like, wait, what is happening? With the rock music? Yeah. Like the heavier. <laughs> the yeah. uh, thematically, it's also terrible. Uh, nobody in this episode wants to grieve. Uh, Charles says, 
Scott, she's gone, but the most important thing is for us to just move on. Like, <laughs> she, she just died. Well, and Cyclops did, in fact, do that by basically trying to fuck the first thing that he saw, which was the lady that owned the orphanage, right. that they were friends as kids. Okay, right. so on that, Scott tells his friend, the orphan keeper... Uh, <laughs> That's her, just the nanny her, and orphanage. The, maker. the orphanage, the orphanage has burned down. And seconds after it's burned down, he goes, "So what are you gonna do now?" And she's like, "Well, I'm just gonna rebuild, you know. Yet this is my home, and I, I just can't avoid it." Hey, like, you up, orphan lady? Girl, like it's okay to be a little bit sad that the thing that you loved and worked so hard on burned to the ground. Are you talking about the orphanage or Jean Grey? <laughs> oh, my God. I guess he just loves playing with fire. <laughs> Ooh, spicy. Um, to be fair, in the comics, it's kind of what he did. It wasn't the right. orphanage. It was Lee Forrester. Uh, like, he went and he, like, fucked her, who ended up fucking Magneto and then fucking somebody else. You Lee, know, Lee got around. That's a lot of good sex with hot people. Lee got around. And then as soon as he met Madeline Pryor, the spitting image of Jean, he married her. Did you appreciate Cyclops also tone policing marginalized communities at the end where he's like, yeah, you can't fight for acceptance. You got to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's a very different view of activism. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Kilgrave was the purple man in uh, Jessica Jones. I know. Yeah. So, so th- is he ever a real villain against the X-Men in the comics? He's a villain against everybody. Everybody. Yeah. So he just it was when uh, uh, Jessica Jones was created in the right. Alias comic. That Brian Michael Bendis ended up using her so, uh-huh. or using him, excuse me, so creepily uh, that he became pretty much her villain. Yeah. And then, like when they did the Netflix show, they were like, "Let's cast David Tennant and have him be this fucking creeper." Did you appreciate how he had to smear um, foundation on his face? Why did you say smear like that? Smear. Yes, I did appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um. I guess that's it. Did you like the exterminators? We barely talked about that. This kid's transformation was very funny. His uh, like, I was happy to see Wiz Kid. Yeah. Will, yeah, so that's for sure. I thought Boom Boom's outfit was on point. Yeah, and yeah. her powers. Does Skids really just slide skin? around? Yeah, yeah, she's got like this like protective force field oh, that makes okay. her like that m- makes lose sense. friction. Hence like, the name Skids. Yeah, they were very like comfortable. I love and it. it makes sense that Cyclops is the one that found them because when they were introduced, um, the the exterminators. We're in the X Factor series, so it's the kids that like the X Factor, the original X Factor, they they rescued basically. So yeah, it was a much it was weird because it was so campy. It was a much better episode than I remember. I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. I mean, it's stupid, but I enjoyed it. All right, let's get some news on. Oh yeah, it's time for the news. Sorry, I was trying to replicate the feel that we would have if Clark. Clark was doing oh, it's the news. Hold on, I'm yeah, pulling up oh, my phone. Clark's like rearranging Russell, papers. Russell, Russell, Russell. <laughs> he's like rearranging a stack of papers like he's a public defender. <laughs> no, it's like, hey, stop the presses. All right, let's get into some news. In one of the major CGI blunders of Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, the rendering of Modok uh, looks like a bad TikTok filter of a man stretched over mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. beach ball. Uh, fans of Modoc were also upset by the fact that this was a kind of weak, not great depiction of Modoc and his, you know, ending was ultimately just kind of a gag uh, f- played for laughs. So the writer of the movie, Adam Loveness, wanted fans to know that they can suck an egg because... <laughs> Jeff Loveness. Jeff Loveness. Oh, well. If, That's Adam Loveless. If, if he can write and... poorly, I can write poorly. Okay. 
I uh, do love Ness, the Loch Ness monster. So he says, oh, Nessie. So for some of the criticism he received from Modoc, he said uh, that if Modoc ever returns, he'll be even stupider because, quote, if I say, yeah, I, pr- I promise you, if he will, he will be even stupider. I refuse to listen to the fans on this. I will not make Modoc serious. As long as I'm alive, they're not going to get that serious adaptation for those four, those four fan want. He'll be a big dumb head. That's all. Adam, how do you feel as three of the four fans? (laughs) How do you feel about this open antagonism (laughs) toward the people you're supposed to be entertaining? Uh, And do you think the character choices Loveness made were acceptable for a movie like this? I think I think it's actually very intelligent on his part because no one's going to cancel him over (laughs) saying that Modoc should be a dumb fuck. Um, I think the character worked in the movie. I am sad, like we usually talk about, that they've taken a... And Clark, obviously, especially, I think, was one of these four fans who you've taken this, like, really ridiculous character, but almost made him toothless enough to fit the movie and the arc of um, whatever Yellow Jacket's, like, full story that, like, it misses out on the actual killing part of MODOK. Like he became too soft too quickly. And Modoc is insane. And like we see it in the comics, he's been an X-Men recently. That's the Modoc that I do want. And I'm appreciate the journey of yellow jacket. I'm going to leave it at that because I want another Modoc, and I want them to just change the part where they're like, but I thought Modoc died. And he's like, no, that's a mechanical killing machine. And I'm a murder killer, whatever the fuck they're like, the different M's are yeah. uh, for Modoc. So how do you feel? Bet. How do you feel about what he said? Do you care enough about Modoc for, this to matter outside of a larger trend of Kevin Feige I'm killing off mid-level characters. More surprised that we keep talking about this movie, <laughs> a movie that we hated and we have talked about it for the last four weeks. I, Maybe did we like this movie? Are we revising our opinion? I don't think we talked as much about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We did not. Uh, but this so has that a means lot. We of, love it. This has a lot of fun, stupid things in it, and. I think I think that because it's done so poorly yeah. in the second week that it's more remarkable. You know his PR person was like, yeah, just talk this shit up so people will go see the movie because we had a huge drop-off week over. I, I think he's right, and I think that Marvel fans need to accept that some things are impossible to adapt, and so what you're going to get is something completely different. Like uh, a Taskmaster... I'm more fine with you being annoyed by than yeah, a Modoc. Modoc is a stupid character. He is dumb. It is it Modoc whatever, fine. I can let it go, but Clark has a great point and I've mentioned this before is the MCU gets the first tier characters. They get them really well. I think they've like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, even Doctor Strange, uh, Spider-Man. They've gotten these characters right. Yeah. The second and third tier characters, they don't know what to do with them. And they neuter them, they change them so uh, 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 completely, and then they ultimately kill them off. And you know how comics fans are. I mean, we as X-Men fans, we love these second, third tier gremlins. That's we just, an interesting point. We just do. Right. And so I get like the MCU is a lot bigger than comic fans. Like it's out there for you know the masses. So mo- most people don't know who Modoc is. Most people don't know who Taskmaster or Batroc are. So it doesn't matter to them. But like, look, I grew up with these characters, and I don't need like reverence. But I want them to get like like embrace the weirdness, embrace the kookiness of the Marvel universe. Sometimes there's an instability that the movies create for themselves 
that if all of your main characters are the only ones that are interesting to people and you don't have the rich universe, yeah. then there's no cushion that a movie can survive by by having a weaker kind of protagonist. Which is why I think uh, James Gunn uh, taking over the DC uh, movie mm-hmm. universe bodes well for it because he loves those like you know Gremlins, secondary yeah secondary third tier. i mean the guardians of the galaxies were second third tier characters until he got a hold of them i don't think i love every interpretation he's done yeah but you can't deny he made them incredibly popular and with suicide squad and peacemaker i mean these characters should be jokes and they are in some ways but he gives them a lot of pathos too i have a question and it could be a good polaris for next week yeah would you have liked this Modoc and this is the fan for fans listening. Would you have liked Kalen for you especially? Would you have liked Modoc if it was actually Moesha Doc played by Brandy? <laughs> <laughs> You're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Mo to that. I eat to that. You know, it really upsets me that you said that line <laughs> just to make it to the front of the episode and <laughs> It's going to work because when when people are listening to this, it's going to be the front of the episode right now. I hate you so much. I hate you. I hate you. There's probably some more news, though, Brad. Uh, yeah. I'm just sad now. <laughs> All right. Actor John Bernthal has been more officially recast as the Punisher in Daredevil's and Disney Plus's Daredevil reboot, uh, Daredevil on the Nose. Oh, sorry. Daredevil home again. Oh, uh, Daredevil born again. So uh, several months ago, Rosario Dawson had a tweet about how John Bernthal is coming back as Punisher. And then she said she tried to take it back by going, oh, you can't you can't listen to fans, especially when you really want to hear the news. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, you let the cat out of the bag. Um, He's going to be in it. It's going to be 18 episodes. So there's a lot of room to fill. Mm hmm. What space do you want this version of Frank Castle to fill in light of it being a you know part of the MCU now? So uh, you hit it on the head by saying in light of this. I mean light. So there is an interpretation of the Punisher by Garth Ennis, uh, who probably wrote one of the better versions of the Punisher, both a gritty, dark version, darker than you would imagine version for... Uh, the imprint called Max, which was the right. adult imprint. Before that, he did it for Marvel Knights, and he did a dark humor take on the Punisher. It was called Welcome Back, Frank. And it was basically done to bring the character back to his roots after uh, Marvel didn't know what to do with him. They had a miniseries where he was like an agent of God and was an angel, essentially, using like <laughs> divine bullets. I'm not making this up. You laugh, but I'm not making this up. So... Garth Ennis coming back doing Welcome Back Frank was a, um, uh, it was by him and by the artist Steve Dillon, RIP, who drew Preacher. Mm. Uh, And so they had a very kind of dark humor take on The Punisher. So I think if they, you know, it's clear that Matt Murdock could be a lighter version of Matt Murdock based on what we saw in in Mm -hmm. She-Hulk, then maybe we could find a more humorous way of making The Punisher work. Maybe uh, it's softened uh, if, you know, you have a more lighthearted Matt Murdock. It softens the edges on a character like Deadpool's relationship with anyone more serious. Correct. Well, yeah, one of I feel like one of them will have to play and some level of straight man, and so I feel like that might be Dare Daredevil would be the more like 
I'm a little zinger. See, I think I think it's you the think other way around. I think I think Daredevil's zinger. a straight man, and because Punisher is so extreme in his views, Daredevil's straight man behavior is like, wow, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, it is going to be very weird. It's John Berndahl's amazing as um, Punisher, so I'm interested. But like, yeah, the character is like a very, especially for the MCU, which is highly. I don't think we've even seen that. Like Moon Knight was probably one of the more intensive, more recently like gritty right. things. And even that like A, got very cheesy towards the end, but B, just felt weird being so serious. Yeah. So as much Why as I don't- so serious? That's right. So as much as I don't like the house style of having to have boring jokes, yeah. I also don't want it to be like, I'm a dark event. Like if they, it almost is like what the Batman and Harley Quinn, like if they manage to make him a little bit so serious, they're like, dude, chill the fuck out. Yeah. It's, that it's part of the joke. Fun, yeah. They could also do a uh, Franken Punisher where he becomes a Frankenstein's monster. That's exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> that actually happened too. Don't look at me like that. I, no, I'm just, I believe you that these things happen. I find them humorous, Kalen. <laughs> no, why aren't you laughing? You're just giving me that. Look. I did a chuckle. <laughs> I don't need to, I don't need to prove my mirth to you. Hmm. Anyway, we're moving on. To Sorry, I also shit. wanted to make everyone uncomfortable. Uh, just, just, like happens with a Clark-style <laughs> news. Yeah. Let's get into the issues, our weekly recap of all things X. Oh, wait, there's one more thing ah! I forgot. Sorry, I was I'm, capping off the... Uh, that's great. Great impersonation. Two's company, three's a crowd. It's, uh, Brent's a shut-up. <laughs> <laughs> so this week we've got Nightcrawlers number two, X-Men number 20, New Mutants Lethal Legion number one, Scarlet Witch number three, and X-23 Deadly Regenesis number one. Nightcrawlers number two, Simon Spurrier and Andrea DeVito. Our first foray into the year 100 of Sinister Era finds the Nightkin afloat with Asgard Ruin, Wagverine <laughs> losing babies. I hate that fucking name. And the original Nightcrawler, much bigger than when he started. This book is really out there. Is it working for you? It's weird. Um, I enjoy elements of it, but this felt a lot less cohesive than the last issue. And I also think it might have been a mistake having this issue be the first of the year 100 mm-hmm. versus like Storm and the Brotherhood or uh, Im- Immoral X-Men. But maybe that's by design. What? Sorry, was there anything in particular that made it feel uncohesive? Uh, it, I was just disoriented with everything because they, you know, they are jumping into year one hundred, and so it just it's like, huh? I was like, what exactly is happening right now? Maybe it's just it'll read better on reread. Yeah, uh, and I read it twice, but I was like, I like elements of it. I'm just finding what is my what is my compass? Like, what is my anchor to care? And I don't have an anchor yet. Yeah, maybe I get too in my head about these kinds of things, but I very much enjoyed it because I thought that the style of writing matched several thematic elements within it. Uh, One, the jumping around of Nightcrawlers, Mm -hmm. and then two, the frenzied pace at the expansion of the Sinister Empire that you feel like, oh my God, the Sinisters are just moving around uh, in a, crazily predatory way across the galaxy and the sinister the the night crawlers in response are have this very uh randomized response like we're collecting all of these weird artifacts and certain new members don't know what to believe and others are trying to continue the empire it's fantastic world building i love all that stuff i'm just saying 
there wasn't an emotional anchor for me to drive I, me through this. It was like it was I was reading a really cool recap of some stuff with some beautiful art. Andrea DeVito is a great yeah. artist. But like I, I was struggling to care. The area where I thought that that could probably have been beefed up the most was in the Banshee Spirit of Vengeance. Yeah. Yeah, like make that more of the focal point emotionally in the story because they started doing something interesting artistically, which was showing Banshee's face going over the uh, the spirit of vengeance. I think that they I think the hardest part was having and where so the narration was coming from whom <laughs> Wagner at parts at parts it was back and forth okay. it was uh Cassidy and Wagner well right Wagner. it was Wagner. 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 yeah no it's like I, obviously when the color changes that's that but like mm-hmm. that's I think in general to your point I agree Caitlin in the sense that I couldn't get anchored to what was happening I thought the front half was great and I'm like okay you're right it's a fast recap and I'm sure they'll slow down and then keep building stuff from there but the whole concept of his coming back and this giant religion happening like it's it's a very interesting concept. Like I'm very, and it feels very, it feels high concept. Like yeah. I'm just like, what's going on? It's very like, European sci-fi. I love, this. I love like, that aspect. What's happening? The religion, the disappearing babies. But it was just, I agree with you, Kaylin, that I'm just like, I am having a hard time connecting emotionally. And I also wanted more from uh, Mother Righteous in the sense that like, she just is a little bit of a bit, like she... I still wasn't fully aware of what anyone was doing and why. Like, it just kind of felt like a lot of interesting pieces, but it moved too fast. Like, I do think I'm like, I wish there was a year 50 somewhere just to like catch all of this stuff and or like launch each us in. year had its own little mini series. So like three issues for year one yes. or year 10, three issues for year 100, three issues for year 1000. But I don't know if they could do that. Maybe it's an expectations issue. Because going into this, I was thinking about it in the context of like, none of this stuff can ultimately matter. The details of it can't ultimately yeah. matter. Yeah. That in a, and, and so the way that I'm kind of viewing it is that this is almost like a historic text. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. that what this all ultimately is, is when Moira gets killed and the whole thing reboots. Yeah. These are all these massive. It's like a tapestry uh, that charts these major events rather I, than and and I know that we're reading we're human beings reading comics and we still want yeah there's a layer that is missing but it, I don't mind that it, it's the stuff that I love reading uh, before a major like fantasy series or a major sci-fi epic it's like all the world building beforehand like every all the shit before like Game of Thrones began like you know the uh, Robert's rebellion you know the shit before like that's in House of Dragon. All that's really cool, but when George R. R. Martin wrote it, he presented it in kind of like these texts versus an actual narrative, or the Similarion uh, yeah. uh, that that Tolkien did. But these aren't books, you know. They are not. They are not narratives. I, I think so, I would have loved to that point. I would have loved more data pages because the Terra one that then led into them going back down to get uh, Doctor Nemesis and also Nightcrawler. I thought was really like I let there is a connective tissue on what's happening. I think there's a lack of scale because they're all kind of in that mother righteous like main yeah. home. And I wish there was to your point, Kaylin, I wish there was a data page that just spoke to how many nightkin there are, how big their religion got. What like give me just a, a level set. Because what it seemed like is like one of those like bad indie movies where it's like they don't have enough budget to fill out with extras and do all that stuff. So like, yeah, this thi- like 
this big thing is happening and these serious corporate like or religious wars are happening, but there's only five people in this entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is weird because comics have unlimited budget. Right. So. <laughs> just, it really just needed that one thing of like, what is the scale of which this, or why, how did the religion evolve? How did this happen? Like the spark was obviously I, bastardized. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't use Legion as like the anchor. I mean, he's in the comic. And he loves writing Legion, and Legion is such a big part of Legion of X for obvious I, reasons. I really liked it, and again, it might just be my brain filling in the details. Like, all right, it is interesting that Legion avoided all of this. Yeah, and in I love my, that. Yeah. In my head, it's like, all right, I can imagine the story that Legion could have engaged, but then would have put a bunch of people at risk. Is it better to hide yourself because you know that there's ultimately going to be this massive amount of destruction? Right. And it was, I think there was a lot of economy in that storytelling that made me enjoy it. Legion more. was, I liked, I liked the Legion part. I was mostly just tracking with the like, I'm with baby now. My baby disappeared. And I was like, cool, I don't give a shit because I don't yeah. know you. Yeah. But I, mean, I don't know you and I don't care about your. Oh, your baby, baby got stolen. Take me in, buy me dinner. Yeah. For, this uh, was, some of us are happy not having a baby. <laughs> This is not a bad comic, and yeah. I tell you, say as somebody who read uh, Extreme X Men number one or Marvel Unlimited this week, that is a bad comic. Yeah. Claire, I mean, it's a good thing we didn't buy it as it was coming out. It's the one that just recently got published. Yeah, that is absolutely garbage. Yeah, and now this I want to read it. Oh, good luck. Uh, Let's move on. Yeah, X Men twenty. Jerry Duggan, Stefano Caselli. The Brood crossover continues. We're back on Earth. Gene Maggot, Maggot, Magic, and Brew find out that Nightmare is actually the cause of the Brood insurrection, while the rest of the team travels with those Brood insurrections. I want to yeah. take us back to a moment when we were reading the X Men issues, and we oh were talking God. about the Halloween issue, and. The takeaway that one Kalen Batia was, what the fuck was the point of this story with Nightmare in it? And I 1,000% agree right now. <laughs> <laughs> why Why is he the villain? I, why, why is he back? I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I it's funny as I thought you were going to throw that in my face. Uh, no, we all were like, what the fuck is this? Why I, is this I, I liked that story because yeah. it was a fun little aside thing. But you guys were upset that it was just Didn't like a complete, it was a distraction from the real fun of the rest of the series. It, it is the equivalent of, you know, like the well, this better come back in a big way. And then the oh, no, no, not like that. Yeah. Oh, no, no, wait. <laughs> uh, yeah. All the brood are attacking. Wait, uh, No, please stop. <laughs> listen, I have been asking why the brood are attacking considering brew is the head of it they answered that yeah they answered why we had that random ass issue with nightmare who is not an ex-villain he's an interesting villain uh for sure but i also love that he is like he is pure malice he just wants to see like he wants to see the world burn yeah, yeah. um and the x-men having a villain like that even though it's not part of their normal you know rogues gallery i think is absolutely great like all of this worked for me we're gonna get to it in a second the typhoid Mary and Kingpin stuff, all that shit worked. This issue, stellar, Killed. fucking That's my favorite. It wow. is my MVP of the week. This, I love this to comic. To me, was one of the my least favorite. Oh my god, not I, not bad. Still, X Men. This storyline okay. is still great, but it was kind of. It felt like what is going on i had the same cohesion problems as uh the previous as nightcrawlers where i was just like when i loved the thing where it's like 
And now you'll never know who's dangerous. Also, who's dangerous on this island? <laughs> it's like, what the <laughs> fuck are they doing here? What's going well, on? Well, that was from that. Uh, it wasn't Dark Web, but what was the uh, the mini Dark Rain or that uh, Devil's Rain? Devil's Rain, yeah. yeah the Devil's Rain uh, X Men series where they had the backstory of uh, yes. Wilson Fisk and Emma Frost. I'm like, bringing that in? I didn't expect that. It's like Jerry Duggan like planted all these seeds, and I, I appreciate that well, so much. And what what I thought was really cool, besides the fact that Nightmare is still a confusing villain to me, of like yeah. what's really going on, why he's want to do it. I mean, it's just like I want to kill everything. The I loved the concept of because we were sitting here like, how would this happen? Why would this happen? It is really the only one of the ways that like it could have happened. And Bruin, uh, he kind of in did he write the brew? like taking over the X storyline. No, that was Hickman. Right. So like, I, I do love the fact that they brought that back. They had an actual solution for it and it does make it far more interesting than just like, I don't know. I love the idea where like, well, you seem fine and you're not breaking bad and you're just Dexter for, you know, the, the brood or whatever. So where do we fall on the consent issue with mind reading? Yeah, that was tough. That Jean Grey says to brew, I need to read your mind. And he says, eh, I don't think so. And she goes, I wasn't asking a question. Because uh, I guess there's two yeah. levels to think about it. One is we as the readers are more informed about consent than before and are willing to recognize or are able to recognize in more places that you might violate someone outside of just physical touch. Yeah. The other level is within comics it kind of felt like they were moving through that same trajectory or that there's always been a notion that I shouldn't just invade the privacy of someone else's mind. Like Charles talks all the time about how unless it's absolutely necessary, I feel like there's like eight other steps that Jean Grey could have engaged in before just rifling through Bruce's brain. But I do think particularly with this crossover and particularly having done the Class X on the original Brood uh, saga, it's super interesting to me because everyone has turned up to 11 when it comes to saying, fuck you, Brood. Iceman is killing everything in its path. Cyclops is like, fuck you, goddamn people. Kill yourselves. I hope you die. We've got to kill these Brood. Well, there is an interesting... There's a a Medium article or something that has to be written about uh, mutants being seen by humans as like this invasive Other, species yeah. and the mutants, the X-Men specifically saying this about the brood. It's like, they're evil. We should have killed them off years ago. They serve no purpose. I mean, to be fair, they're pretty invasive. They lay eggs in your stomach and then burst out of you. Yeah, yeah, but hey, Kaylin, to be fair, they're a cheap knockoff of the alien, xenomorphs and aliens. So, so it, I, Sleezoids. Sleezoids. fair. I would chalk it up more to the fact that, right, like us as human readers and them as human writers, you just see a th- creature like that, even though, because again, I before Classics, I was like, oh, I thought the Brood were just fucking nuts. And I'm like, oh, they're actually, besides Brew, I was like, oh, they're actually intelligent people that taught, you know, a type of person. Yeah. And so, but it is like, they are still crazy assholes that will tear you open to lay eggs in your body. It's a very, what Gene did was very ends justify the means, which is a whole conversation. Yeah. It's like, like she had to find a solution and Brew was saying, I don't think so. And she was like, look, bitch. So there is definitely a real problem, though, with the whole we just got to kill them no matter what mentality. Because if you, if they were humans who were being brainwashed, 
the X-Men would have a completely different oh, totally. approach to this. Absolutely. And also it kind of goes uh to like real life stuff of, of like police officers or military saying um you know like uh, don't lay your eggs inside me. Well, violating <laughs> violating rules that protect citizens and protect just people like Miranda uh, rights yeah. laws, yeah, 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 the Geneva yeah. Code, uh, the Geneva Convention rather. Like saying, well, we had to do it because they are such bad guys. And so it's a moral quandary. It really yeah. is. Uh, what are Monet and Forge up to? I don't know. They're, they're over in nowhere. Other plot line. Uh, I don't know, but I love those characters. I, I, so. do, I mean, I do like that they planted a gateway in a different at this time so that in the future it would be usable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I can we just talk about the art for one second? Stefano Casali has been doing art for a long time, and he was uh, originally the X Men Red artist yeah. uh, for this era of the X books. Um, he keeps getting better every time I see him. His art is just beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. Love this comic. New Mutants: Lethal Legion number one. Charlie J. Anders and Enid Balam. New Mutants start a completely new arc with Scout, Escapade, and Cerebella infiltrating Count Nefaria's home while Morgan and Wolfsbane hunt for leftover Spider-Man rogue weaponry in the sewers of New York. Um, I thought Count Nefaria was um, a woman. <laughs> no, Count Nefaria actually fought the X-Men. It was the mission where Thunderbird died. Oh. Yeah. And I love that, like, Charlie... Do you mean Count Strange? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tony Nefaria? <laughs> uh, you mean uh, Dracula? Uh, right. It's like, no, he's just he's an ionic energy vampire. What is ionic energy? It doesn't matter. Just uh, go with it. Have you seen What We Do in the Shadows? No. Oh. You but haven't we, seen What We Do in the Shadows? No, there's it's a character. There's list. a character who's an energy vampire, and uh, he just, he's like, yeah, so I got this really amazing stamp collection. And the thing that you like about stamps <laughs> is the way in which that they're so collectible, and people just, like, start falling asleep around him uh i enjoyed this issue very much uh because charlie treats nefaria like the joke that he is yeah and so like calling it lethal legion makes sense because that was the team that he had at one point uh, uh so looks one it's a it's a stupid knockoff of the masters of evil which gotcha. is also what team would call themselves of evil you know what i'm saying the uh, the recruitment ad is wonderful and so good the comic i really appreciated that uh i my favorite part of the comic though was uh morgan and rain they're like bonding yeah, yeah, i yeah. think that was great morgan making great points about why krakoa is dangerous oh such if great he, great commentary when you i still believe in the vision of krakoa and Every criticism that is valid, I, I just enjoy. Love, yeah. yeah. Um, the other character, the, I mean, the thing I love about character stories is having uh, Martha and Escapade have a conversation about the nature of their powers, the nature of their place, and their concerns about the future. Yeah. So they're actually genuinely reflecting, and they're not just stalling or rehashing things that have happened previously. I think they're a writing. It's a great kickoff. I think it's uh, really nice. Tons of character interaction, character development, while also a pretty fast-moving story. So I'm very excited um, for the work that she's doing. I think this is so much fun. I'm very excited to see what happens next. Um, I kind of wish that um, Charlie had the chance to just start New Mutants like this versus the last three issues the of backdoor pilot, backdoor of pilot, because like I mean, the New Mutants was the redhead step stepchild yeah. of the Krakoa era because you had Hickman, then Ed Brisson, then Vita Ayala, and then there was a one shot by um, 
one writer whose name I can't remember, and then it was Charlie. Wasn't it Victor Lavelle? Or am I crazy? No, it, well, you're crazy. Okay. You are crazy, oh, okay. and it wasn't him. <laughs> uh, no, it was uh, it was the writer of uh, Blade's Daughter. Uh, that, oh yeah, I uh, and I can't remember their name, right. but yeah. Uh, well, we'll see the Whisper Sisters in the next issue. I hope with Blaster Dame and uh, Fisticuffs, which I also really enjoyed. I just yeah, I think the writing's really fun. It's a pop art. It's amazing. Let's talk about Scarlet Witch number three. Steve Orlando, Sarah Pacelli, Wanda, and her sister role-play through a great adventure in saving a destroyed homeworld while Darcy gets a lead into deadly comeuppance by the Bake? How do you pronounce that? Bake sounds right. Bake? Bake! Bukaki. It's Bukaki. Um, who the fuck are the Bukaki? Clark. Fairies? I was like, Clark? Is Clark here to yeah. respond to <laughs> uh, This is a comic that I thought was absolutely gorgeous. Sarah, it's Sarah apparently because she's uh, Italian. Sarah Pacelli's art is like just she was already a great artist, and she's just fucking. It's gorgeous. Looks like leveling up, like you know, Ciara was right, like level up, babe. <laughs> um, and I love the the interaction between Lorna and uh, Wanda, mm-hmm. uh, as well as um, uh, I almost called her Cat Dennings, but it's uh, Darcy. Darcy, yeah. Uh, I think all that's fun. The story did not very. Do very much for me because I I found myself not caring because the subatomica stuff yeah. was all like it's like quantum realm stuff a little yes. bit tiny and it, tiny and, tiny and I'm like I think my again going back to the movie that we don't love like all of the quantum realm like microverse yeah. like you know subatomica stuff I just I don't care anymore I'm a heightist it's too small for me you're a heightist um, there are, I thought as an interesting narrative style having the second person narrative was interesting mm-hmm. you know, like your scarlet witch yeah i think that there's some of it gets a little bit hard to follow when you're <laughs> you're not quite clear where a person is and what is really going on yeah but i love the idea of uh scarlet witch and uh lorna forming a sword together yeah yeah uh because i'm ready for the next 10 of swords competition <laughs> yes 10 of swords 12 two, of swords. 11 of swords <laughs> it felt like a um it it really did feel like a role-playing manual which i enjoyed but i do feel like halfway through i was like come on in front of the pod steve just just flip it over and have them talk a little bit more <laughs> like i was like I think the uh, the opening pages were great. Uh-huh. I think his dialogue with uh, Darcy, Wanda, and Lorna, oh, so all good. of it's so, so good. That's what made me sad because yeah. I was like, I thought the the interactions are so key. And so like having, and especially this the concept of the series having these sort of ride-along adventures with some iconic characters like Storm in the last issue. Right. There's just a lot of stuff that... I want to hear the voice rather than like experience the the journey, I guess, or the narrative. But right. it did work out. I just sort of was like, oh, okay. I really do enjoy the narrative arc of you've got a character who wants to save the day, but every opportunity to do it has been stripped from them. Right. You help them go on this journey to get this mythical item, and that doesn't exist. And even though you can create the mythical item and save them, they still don't want you to help finish that journey because right. that's for them to take. Right. Large Marge. <laughs> Large Marge. <laughs> uh, all right, let's wrap up with X-23, Deadly Regenesis number one, Erica Schultz and Edgar Salazar. A throwback to the Utopia years, X-23 slash Laura saves lives and remembers her traumas before having to face the return of Kimura, 
whoever she is, and a brand new set of MGH villains. Kamara is just X-23's like main antagonist from back in the day. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm fine going back to the Utopia area because I actually really do like that era of comics. I think Sorry, you've got so much joy in your voice right now. I know. Well, that's how I normally talk, Brent. Um, but I... I I don't know. I what every, do you think this is gonna like I don't, reveal? Every time we go back to the past for these characters of an unrevealed thing, it doesn't tell me anything so interesting that I couldn't pick up through context of what's happening. You're actually Wolverine's niece this whole time. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, the storyline of someone being out of their own control, having done horrible things, and then the person who's a victim of those horrible things wants revenge. Has been played out a lot. Yes. And I'm not saying it should never be played it again, but gosh darn it, you gotta have an interesting ass take to keep me after more than one issue on I this. did enjoy I mean, I will say I enjoyed the comic. I thought it's uh really well written and having not known X twenty three during the uh Utopia years, weirdly I, I hate, as we just talked about with the um X Men animated series, like I hate prequel stuff that doesn't really add a whole lot of value and maybe it's a right. little like spice a character but for some reason this the comic generally worked for me mainly because i didn't know who Kimberly simmons was but it was still like i can see why it's shouldn't be here and i was like all right i guess i'll read the next I, I, i'm just curious who this is for right um it is like the claremont stuff i don't love like but like the gambit miniseries x even extreme x-men which is actual garbage like i understand people having nostalgia for that era of comics who has nostalgia just for x23 it is a very small crew of people if ryan were here he'd be like well i do kalen and fuck you i'm like okay wait ryan. was that ryan that might have been ryan one? um but i this makes me this makes me now just want a talon miniseries of like old woman laura mm. yeah like, i would love what happened in there what happened in there yeah. like flashbacks there but like also like how she's navigating um, you know, being back, being with Sync, you know, the fact that there's a younger version of her running around you know, that she wants nothing to do with. Like, I think that's just so much more interesting, and especially because while she still looks like a boss bitch and looks hot as fuck, um, we don't have a lot of comics or stories w- featuring older yeah. people yeah, as yeah. protagonists. So there's an emotional moment that kind of annoyed me or I, I really <laughs> hope is... Because like, I hate emotions. Because I hate emotions. <laughs> um, so Laura's in in the past in some berserker state, and she's killing a bunch of people in a warehouse. And there's this guy who says, please, I just need the extra cash to help out my sibling. I'm not like the rest of them. Judgy. So, so that is supposed to be him pleading with her, don't kill me, I'm actually a good guy. And, you know, that guy's brother is the one who, you know, wants revenge. So he recognizes that the people around him are bad. And he is still searching for gainful employment in what he knows is an evil corporation. To me, that strikes as like, all right, I'm supposed to feel like Laura did the wrong thing. But at the same time, I get the vibe of him saying like, oh, I'm just following orders. Like, right. whatever I do, it doesn't matter what job I take. If I'm a good person or if I'm doing it for my family, then you have to accept that I work for an organization that does something Oh, wrong. yeah. No, I agree with that. And so it kind of felt a little bit more hollow that I'm like, well, 
I don't know what this group did. Well, this fucker yeah. suited up and then took away her healing powers, which is also the new t- like size shield. I feel like every time yeah. any of the the Vereens get involved, the Vereens, yeah, just spray them. <laughs> get, get that water bottle, spray them on the nose. <laughs> Bad, they're, they're bad Wolverine. All I know is how painful that must be when their claws retract and there's giant holes in their hands because they're not healing. Yeah. yeah, they should be losing a lot, a lot of, of blood. blood. Also, uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, the fact that like Laura, Laura in the current books goes by Wolverine, and that's been controversial for some people because like Logan could be the only Wolverine. Um, the fact that they're publishing a miniseries now called X twenty three, even though it is set in the past, mm-hmm. uh, I think. Just makes me a little irritated. Yeah, it just does. It's a very messy name right now. Yeah. <laughs> Where's Ryan when you need him? Yeah. Hey, that was good. All right, pop, pop noise. <laughs> you know what that means? It's time for a plug me, Daddy. We wrap up each episode with some plugs about stuff we've seen, engaged with, entertained ourselves with, think, and think that you might like as a person who also engages with stuff. It's our plugs. So who's got plugs? Who wants to plug things? Uh, so last weekend, I went to the Kennedy Center for the first time since the pandemic, and I saw Into the Woods, a Sondheim musical, uh, which was made into the movie in 2015, I want to say. Um, and it, it is a retelling of like the sort of the Brothers Grimm's fairy tales, uh, all kind of mixed together. Uh, and I know the story. It went because a friend was in town, and I had to say the production was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the cast was great. They were great singers. They were funny. The comedic timing like was on point. We were in the front row, which I have never done before the Kennedy Center, which was awesome. So if you were in the D.C. area uh, and had to get a chance to go see it, definitely go. I love it. Uh, I am going to plug the iPhone's ability to find my friends because oh <laughs> I won't give you God. the long the long story, but my phone was stolen at a Trade, a gay bar in D.C. last weekend while uh, a fellow podcaster, Kalen, was DJing. He had Find My Friends on his phone. He could identify that the phone was still at the bar, didn't want to bug Kalen, found another friend who continued to have Find My Friends on his phone, our friend Rexy, who we actually talk about on this podcast more often than anyone else, did have it. Uh, he looked. It was actually at number nine, a bar around the corner. So an A-team level squad of three others and myself went to number nine, scoped out the place, traded photos and information to identify, and found the asshole who had stole my phone, who had previously knocked a bunch of drinks over at our table, potentially with the intention of stealing my phone. So it was a real fun, exciting experience, and it couldn't have worked out better because privacy doesn't matter and get your phone back. You know what I love about this? You've multiple plugs. You've plugged Apple products. Uh, you've plugged two gay bars in DC, trade in number nine. Yeah. Uh, you plugged me as a DJ, thank you. And you plugged friendship. I didn't friendship say you were a good got- DJ. He also, plugged, he also plugged a particular method of stealing a phone. Yeah. Which is to knock, knock, a drink, knock, drink, knock drinks and over. Steal, yeah. And steal and then walk away. All right. Know. I will bore you with a long of it. No. Yeah. But, it, was, but it was an find, insane find story. Find at least one person in your vicinity who can easily find your phone if someone steals it. Exactly. All right. So my plug is related to something that actually came out last week and I wanted to plug it but forgot. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge did a photo shoot for W Magazine. Uh, uh, which was directed by the directors for everything, everywhere, all at once. Daniels is the collective name that they go by. 
Um, it is a great photo shoot of tokusatsu uh, style filmmaking, so which is like extraordinarily campy. It relies on a lot of practical effects, but it's Jennifer Coolidge laying waste to these obviously cardboard box cities. She's got Power Rangers with her. Oh it it's a it's a fun fun photo shoot. You absolutely have to see the photos there at W Magazine. It's you don't see a lot of photo shoots that just bring you joy. I and, love her. That, yeah, that really good, good for her. All right, that's been our episode. Uh, you should check out our Rod Rice interview whenever that comes out. Um, Keep voting in March or Mutant Madness. I call oh it yeah, March Madness. yeah, it's our Mutant Madness. So get out there and vote and vote on our Polaris. Let's. Let's get some people excited about uh, making decisions that don't have any consequences. Leave a Gin Tora on our review. Yes, as, absolutely. As, as always, leave a Gin Tora. A see vodka Tora, tequila Tora. More uniquely than whiskey anyone else. Tora. <laughs> uh, Tora in the Talmud. O B G Y N Gin Den Tora Tonic. All right. You can find us on Twitter at Homosphere X and Instagram at Homosphere Podcast. Uh, that's been our issue. That's. That's our issue. That's our See issue. I thought, I, I thought I'd come up with something funny, but I didn't. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>